0: in exodus 3 14 3, 18 god said to moses i am who i am and he said say this to the people of israel i am has sent me to you god also said to moses say this to the people of israel the lord the god of your fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites and the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with me, met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. This is the word of God.
1: Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Just to remind you where we're at, Moses is talking to a bush that is on fire, yet not burning. This conversation goes on for through the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. I just want to remind you what he's doing. He's been shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He is now several weeks' journey away from home at Mount Horeb, the mountain that will, in some time in the future, be the mountain where Moses receives from God the Ten Commandments and the Law. And at this point, God has appeared to Moses and is now talking to Moses, and that is not as surprising nearly as the fact that Moses is talking back, I suppose. And God had said to Moses at, in Exodus 3.10, we just need to remember what we talked about last week, God said this to Moses, "'Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt.'" Moses is now 80 years old. He spent the first 40 years of his life living in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He tried to rescue the people out of Egypt on his own, murdered an Egyptian, and has fled for his life and now has lived 40 years in the wilderness. And God has seen fit now to finally show up to him and say, hey, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And the conversation is going to go from there. But a couple of questions I want to have you think about as we kind of wade our way through Exodus 3 is this. Can God use someone like me? Now you're asking this about yourself. I'm not asking you to ask it about me or Moses or somebody else. I want you to think about yourself. Can God use someone like me? I know there's two kinds of answers to a question like that. There is the Sunday school answer which says, well, the first answer in Sunday school is always Jesus, but the second answer is, of course he can. But now that we've got those two answers out of the way, now really get down to the nitty-gritty in the dark parts of your heart where you don't let anybody go. Can God really use someone like you? Do you really buy that? And secondly, and this is related and we'll show how in a minute, why does God have me in this situation? Why does God have me in this particular situation? Situation. What's funny, I don't even have to say what it is, and you're already thinking about it. Moses is going to be shown by God what it's like to have power in the impossible. Power in the impossible. First thing, verses 11 and 12. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He, that is God, replied, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that. I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. So power in the impossible. First of all, the call of God, powerful to the weary. The call of God is powerful to the weary. We need to understand that Moses here at 80 years old is no longer uh, in power, he is no longer privileged, he is no longer wealthy, he is no longer important. He's been spending 40 years in the wasteland. Shepherding sheep he does not own. And God sees fit to send this guy. And Moses' question here is, verse 11, Who am I? Do you realize who you were talking to? If you can appear in a burning bush, God, there are bushes literally covering the entire countryside. You could appear to nearly anyone. Who am I that you would send me? It reveals Moses' perspective. Maybe Moses would have said, why are you talking to me now, God? I don't want to tell you what's wrong with your calendar, but 40 years ago worked for me. If you would have shown up in a burning bush 40 years ago, God, I would have really been able to do some damage. But now 40 years have gone by, I'm now 80 years old, and I have long since given up any dreams of being the hero of God. Who am I? I'm weary of these kinds of hopes and dreams of effectiveness and importance and power. Uh, God, there's nothing here. See, Moses' question here reveals what's going on in his heart. He doesn't merely doubt himself. He doesn't really know who he's talking to. Look what God replies to him in verse 12. But I will be with you. Maybe you have children or have had children. And they come up and say, what's for dinner? You know they don't like it. So you don't tell them, whatever I make. You notice you're not answering their question, what's for dinner? I'm not going to answer your question. What was Moses' question? Who am I? And what does God not do? Answer his question I will be with you. See, the problem that was going on in Moses' heart is that he thought the issue was who he is. And in our weariness, in our burnoutness, in our discouragement, we think the problem is who we are. And the real issue is who is God? That's why God doesn't dignify his question with an answer. He says, I will be with you. The issue is, who is God in this situation? Not who or what Moses is. Moses thinks he brings a little bit too much to the table, that in his weariness, he can ruin the plan of God. How important do you have to be that you can ruin God's plans? And in his weariness, his pride has not walked out on him. I must have ruined everything God wanted to do with the people of Israel because I wasn't strong enough. And God says, I'm sorry you thought you were that important. I will be with you, God says. I will be powerful to the weary. Think of it this way. Moses, 40 years earlier, in his strength, did not need God. How many prayers do we have recorded by Moses before he fled? Zero. Zero. In his strength, he didn't need God. In his weariness, he doesn't want him. In his strength, he says, I've got this, God. And in his weariness, God shows up and Moses, you know, I don't know. I think I'm kind of done. But the call of God is powerful even to the weary. We tend to make heroes out of people in the Bible who aren't heroes. How many heroes are there in the Bible? One. His name is Jesus. The rest are, well, they did their best. Most of the time, that even wasn't that good. One of such heroes that we tend to make a little much of, and I'm okay with that, mostly because it shows how great God is, is a gal named Esther. And there's a favorite verse of ours, all of ours. She was, her uncle says to her, perhaps you were put in your position for such a time as this. Is this a verse, right? Now this is a verse that many of us have cross-stitched on a pillow. Such a time as this. And so we tend to think of, well, God has put in place finally this heroic figure for such a time as this. But we have to keep in mind, although Esther was faithful to God in his calling, she was in the same situation that Moses was and the people of Israel was. What was it that Mordecai finally said to convince her to do her job? Hey, just keep in mind, Queen Esther, you also are a Jew. Do you think that where you are will keep you protected from the king's edict to kill all the Jews? I don't think so. You can intervene and be faithful to God's calling on your life with the king and maybe die, or you can do nothing and certainly die. The call of God is powerful to the weary and to the weak and the faint of heart. Because we are not the ones who are strong, he is the one who is strong. Esther was not strong, God was strong in her. Think of another one in Judges chapter 7, a guy named Gideon was told to conquer an enemy. He had a military of about 30 to 40,000 soldiers, and God said, you've got too many people. Send home all the ones who are scared. All of them left except for 10,000 people. And God then replies to Gideon, boy, I just really feel like you have too many. How many times do military people say, boy, we just have too big a force? God's concern in Judges chapter 7 was if Gideon had too big of an army, that Israel will have thought they conquered the enemy. God wanted to make sure his army was so small that no one would think Gideon did it. So he weeds it down to 300 guys, and God has a great victory through Gideon. Why did Gideon have a victory? Because he was a great soldier? No, he was a weary Israelite. Where did God find him? In a wine press, threshing grain. You don't thresh grain in a wine press, just so you know, it ruins your wine. You do that if you're scared and weary of having your stuff stolen. Because the question for Gideon is not how strong Gideon was. The question is, who is God? Is he the conquering God or not? The call of God is powerful to the weary because it allows us to finally get the focus off of ourselves and stop asking the question, who am I, God? And instead say, God, are you with me? We must keep in mind as Christians even that when we feel strong is when we're in great danger because we must remember that God does not need our strength. And in fact, our strength is often, or at least what we perceive is our strength, is often an obstacle because we will try to do things according to our strength and our power and our influence and our resources instead of seeking the power and resources of God alone. However, for those of us who find ourselves kind of like Moses, weary, worn down, wondering if we can make it the next day in relationship with God, we need to, along with Moses, trust something. You're not going to like this. I'm going to tell you anyway. You ready? This is the regular way God does his stuff. This is the regular way that God's work, God works in our weakness, in our weariness. As weary people, I want us to settle in our minds the great comfort that this offers. God is not waiting for us to finally get our act together. How hard was Moses working on getting his act together when God showed up? Not very hard. God is not waiting for us to finally unlock the combination how to make Him show up. He is not waiting for us to get our act together. God comes to us in the middle of our confusion and the mess of our weariness and discouragement and says to us, I am with you. I am with you. The question we need to ask ourselves as God calls out to us from a word is this, who is God? And let ask less often, who am I? Power of God in the impossible. The call of God is powerful to the weary because he is with us. Look with me at verse 13. The name of God is powerful to the lowly. Verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, Moses is doing something. It's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable, but let me explain to you what's happening. Normally, in any situation, what we want to do, a difficult situation, is we want to sort of assess the resources, the uh, strengths and weaknesses of our position. We might evaluate what we ought to do. Uh, I mean, a good example is um, professional athletic teams. When they are deciding which player to take, they're going to look at how fast they are, how strong they are, how tall they are, how good they are at their job, and Same thing with a military unit, if they're going to go into a particular mission in the military, is this the right, a group of people with the right equipment to get the job done? And Moses now is saying, okay, you want me to go to Egypt, I want to assess the situation because you're saying, you are with me, the question is, which God are you? So which one are you? Because listen, the only kind of religion there has been for the people of Israel for 400 years is the religion of Egypt, which is a polytheistic religion. Moses, having grown up in the Egyptian, certainly believes God, but the air he breathed, the water he drank was a religion, a, a culture that says certainly you can have your God, but there's a million others too. And Moses is asking by saying, what, na- what is your name, God? He is saying, which one are you? Are you Ra, the sun god? Are you the moon god? Are you the sand god? Are you the, I don't know, whatever god you want to pick from the Egyptians? If I'm going to go in, I want to know which god I've got going for me. Because each of the gods have their strengths and their weaknesses, and I want to know which one I'm dealing with. And God makes very clear who he is. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses, let me get something clear for you that you have had fade into the distant recesses of your memory. I am not one of the gods. I am God. I am he who is self-God. I create all things. I need nothing. I depend on no one. I am fully God and there is none other. And Moses knew this Moses is coming to God and saying, which God are you? And God is saying, no, 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 no. wrong question, Moses. I am God, and there is no other which God. I am my own category. I need nothing. I don't need a people. I don't need food. I don't need air. I don't need anything. Everything I could possibly need is me, is what he is saying as I am. Not only that, I am all-powerful and uh, all-creative. Everything that exists, exists because I said it exists. Everything that exists, exists because I said it exists. The name of God uh, is powerful to the lowly because Moses was wondering which God he was dealing with and God says, Moses, in your lowness, the God, the only God, the creator of the universe has shown up on your doorstep. This is a powerful statement of God To remind us, and what's really interesting about the time when this was written, okay, I can tell, it's going to be interesting for me and like two of you. This kind of statement doesn't exist on planet Earth when this is written. For a God to say, I am only the God, this doesn't exist in any civilization anywhere on planet Earth. Every culture, every civilization at this time said, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch. And God comes to Moses and says, wrong. Now we're going to get to it. We're too far away. Then we get to the 10 plagues, and God systematically through 10 plagues shows each of Egypt's gods what's up because they're not. All right, we're going too far ahead. Should only preach today's message, I guess. Okay. The name of God is powerful to the lowly. For the sake of time, I want to jump over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. jesus is at the feast of tabernacles why did the jews celebrate the feast of tabernacles it's called camp out week it was awesome we should have it feast of tabernacles what they would do is they would all go to jerusalem and they would build booths booths tents take little sticks they'd make a hut and they would live in them for the week and there would be a big party and what were they celebrating They were celebrating that God had taken them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and so they would camp out just like their ancestors had camped out in the wilderness. So Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles where all of Israel is in Jerusalem celebrating that the I Am showed up to Moses and drew the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And what does Jesus say to them at the Feast of Tabernacles? He says this, Verse 54 of John chapter 8. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be lying, like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that, excuse me, that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus says, Abraham, look forward to my day. And the religious leader said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what's he say? I am. At the Feast of Tabernacles, he says, remember remember the burning bush? I was there. And he keep going back, go back to Abraham, still there. I am not a God. I am the God. I am the creator, the sustainer of the universe. This is what the Bible says about Jesus over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him... Jesus is I am. He says, I am the God, the creator and the sustainer, and I am going to redeem the lowly by the cross. Jesus needs nothing. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything. He is all powerful. He is the creator. And he says, I will make myself lowly for the lowly that they might have the power of God himself in their lives. If you wonder whether or not Jesus really meant what he said, he if Jesus really said what he meant, meant what he said, an elephant's faithful 100%, I think is what... (laughs) That's Horton, Dr. Seuss. After Jesus called himself the I Am, what did they do? They picked up rocks to stone him because they knew precisely what he was meaning. He was claiming to be the same God that Moses talked to. A couple of things on this before we move to the last section. The name of God, powerful to lowly. God did not come to Moses that he might go into Egypt and improve Israel's life in Egypt. Moses, go into Egypt and make sure that we can take a tough situation and make it a little better. What was he planning on doing? Taking them out of Egypt, redeeming them from slavery to Egypt into serving serving God himself. God also doesn't come into our life just to be an improvement of our own life. Maybe the best option of many things we have going for us We also have Jesus, so that's great. And Jesus says, no, I am. Not to put find a point on it, Jesus says, I am the only thing you have going for you. Certainly the only thing that you have going for you that will last. I am the unstoppable God who has determined to redeem you from your sin, to draw you out of slavery to sin, to draw us out of our bondage to death into eternal life with him through faith. I might ask you this question before we move on. Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus a good luck charm? Get up in the morning, rub a picture of Jesus before you head out the door. Hope you don't get a speeding ticket. Is Jesus a Christian version of karma? If I do good for Jesus, he'll do good for me. If I do good to other people... Other people might do good for me. The universe will somehow align itself and I'll get a free cup of coffee. Reminds me of the other day I went through Taco Bell. I had just enough money for my meal. Two bean burritos, two soft tacos. It's my meal. I've been having the same meal at Taco Bell since high school. No, I'm serious. I mean, the Taco Bell, where was it in the mall? Is where uh, the shoe store is there now. Anybody remember that? You say, I have a Taco Bell thing. I do a little bit. Anyway, i went pulling through, and I get up to the person. It's like six bucks, which is irritating. When I first started buying this meal in high school, it was under $4. The guy in front of me paid for it. I thought, wow, that is really cool. I didn't know people did that at Taco Bell. I thought that was only Starbucks. <laughs> but a guy bought a... Like, I almost felt like that's not... No, that doesn't count. Karma doesn't count buying Taco Bell. You have to buy coffee, which is probably more expensive than my meal. So what is Jesus to you? I I throw a little bit of money towards Jesus, a little bit of time towards Jesus. I pray before I eat. Maybe good things will flow my way. The lowly, as Moses was, the lowly, as Israel will find, are those who have finally gotten to the point where we've given up on Egypt. I'm not looking to dress this life up to what it is or isn't. I've finally given up on my hope being found anywhere else other than the person of Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to finally let go of everything else I cling to that uh, derives in me some sense of hope and say, no, 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 the only one that I should fix any hope to is this one, the great I am, my Savior on the cross. The name of God is powerful to the lowly, and that name is I am His name is Jesus. Okay, verse 16, Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. Just a few minutes and we'll wrap this up. Exodus 3, 16. The might of God is powerful to the weak. Power in the impossible, the might of God is powerful to the weak. Verse 16, go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, he's appeared to me. I have observed and seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, and they're going to listen to your voice. And then he says, Get all of the elders of Israel and go and stand before Pharaoh. We need to understand something here about how God chooses people. Now, many of us, when we were little, we got chosen for teams on the playground. I don't know if they allow that anymore, but when I was a kid... You got picked and play kickball or football at recess. You line up and the two captains pick, right? And you pick the good people first and not so good people last. It's not a lot of fun, but you know, it is what it is. Turns out life works that way quite a bit. God doesn't know how to do this very good. He picks the worst kids last. All the time. If God was picking teams, he'd stand by, take that kid, and everybody's like, does he know he can't catch? He's, he actually can't see. And, and how, why are you choosing this individual? God is routinely, he picks, the, he picks his teams backwards. He always picks the worst first. And this isn't because God is, has some sense of pity. Like, oh, I feel bad they're not getting chosen. That's not what, that's not what he's doing. What God is doing is revealing to us over and over again through his word, his kind of work is best done through weak and broken people. His kind of work is best done through weak and broken people. The best way I could think of illustrating this is think of it this way. You need to carry some water. What are you going to put it in? Put it in a bucket. You need to carry a bucket of water from here to there. You put the water in the bucket, you pick it up, carry it over there, pour it over there. I don't know why you're doing this, but you've got to get it done. What if you've got to carry some air? You're going to put it in that bucket? No. Well, no, that seems, I mean, it's silly, isn't it? No, you're going to need a cylinder. If you're going to carry any quantity of air at all, you need a cylinder that can maintain a pressure. You want to force the air into it, get a bunch of air in the cylinder. You're not going to put air in a bucket. I mean, you take a bucket of air from there to there, you've changed nothing. It's the same, what are you doing? That's the same. God is saying, what I carry, what I do works best in a certain kind of container, Weak and broken ones. So he says to Moses, get the elders and go to Pharaoh. What are these people elders of? Do you remember? The Hebrews. What is their current status? Slaves. So sometimes maybe you think they put on their best clothes. Yeah, their best clothes are pretty nasty. These people have been under impression for hundreds of years. Moses, go get the elders. Moses, uh, Being kind of generous with the elder word, God. Head honcho of slaves. I don't know if, okay, I'll get the elders. We'll go stand before Pharaoh. I mean, can you get the scene? You've got Moses, a shepherd for 40 years. The elders of the slaves standing in Pharaoh's throne room. And here's Pharaoh with all of his pomp and circumstance. What well, we have to understand in that scene where we see Pharaoh in all his glory and Israel in all of their humiliation and brokenness and weakness is this. There is a greater difference between the power of God and Pharaoh than there is between Pharaoh and the Israelites. God is more powerful than God over Pharaoh than Pharaoh is over Israel. And when these people line up to begin their game, which we'll get into in earnest in a couple of weeks, It's not a fair fight. It's kind of embarrassing that Pharaoh showed up. Because Israel has God on their side, and the might of God is powerfully working through his individuals who are broken. Look what he says in Exodus 3.20. Let's start in verse 19. I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And the way that's worded there in the original, a mighty hand. A, a, a mighty human hand. It would take another great king to come in with a great army to compel, Moses, uh, to compel Pharaoh to do anything. And just so you know, Israel, you're not that. I mean, you've got the brickmaking thing nailed. If brickmakers could get Pharaoh out, you could do it, but that's not what we need. We need a great human army. We don't have one. So what does God say in verse 20? So I'm going to stretch out my hand by Pharaoh. Whoosh. You ever, you ever do that? A fly buzzing around your head or a mosquito? and Just knock them away. That's more effort than God is required to get rid of Pharaoh. Yeah, got just, oh, Pharaoh. I'm sorry, you were saying? Oh, because your whole country is decimated. My bad. We'll get to that. I will stretch out my hand. Uh, Israel, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stand there and check this out. This is why the might of God is so profound in the weak. Because the strong say, oh, God, you want to do that? What's my part? I'm in. Tag me in, God. He said, no, no, Uh, You're not going to get tagged in. You get to watch. The weak, this is what's great about the weak. We say, so you're going to do all the work? Yes. I'm into that. The strong don't like that. Verse 21, I will give you favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go away, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman's going to go to her neighbor and say, hey, can I have all your stuff? And they're going to say, yes, please, take it and go. As one observer noted, today it might not be as big a deal, but back then, essentially, God is saying the women are going to plunder Egypt. Not the heroic, mighty soldiers on the field of battle taking their spoils of a hard-fought victory The women of Israel are going to plunder the riches of the most powerful nation on planet earth. God is going to bring glory to himself by bringing low the powerful. One more parable from the life of Jesus, and we'll close with this one. It's over in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning verse 17. Jesus said this, knowing their thoughts, because they were accusing Jesus of doing his work by the power of Satan. Satan. Jesus says this, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? You say, I cast out demons by Satan. If I cast out demons by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges, but... If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he says, Let me illustrate it this way. When a strong man, fully armed, God guards his own palace, his goods are safe. He says, The world is the strong man's house, the world is Satan's abode. But when one stronger than he attacks him, Jesus says, That would be I am. He takes away his armor and he takes away his strength and his spoils are divided. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying at the cross he bound all his enemies and destroyed them. Satan has lost, sin is done, dead is dead. And he gives his victory as the one who has bound all of his enemies to the weak. To the ones who say, I can't do it. To the ones who say, without you, God, I am ruined. To the ones who say, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness and grace. Jesus says, I am powerful for the weak. Okay, a couple of thoughts, we'll close with this. Who we are as Christians anyway, who we are is who we are in Jesus and what Jesus has done. We are defined by the work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection. When God calls us, it is not who am I, Lord, it's who is Jesus. The work of Christ defines those who are in Christ by faith. We are no longer defined by what we do. We are no longer defined by what we have done. Let me put it this way. This may be worth making note of. As we grow and mature in Christ, we will find ourselves spending much more time thinking about what Jesus has done and much less time thinking about what we have done, good or bad. When we are young in Christ and new in Christ, we will spend more and more of our time thinking, I'm not that good I I don't know what the deal is I can't get my act together as we grow in Christ we will find ourselves thinking much more about what he has done whether good or bad man I really blew it this week good thing Jesus didn't man I did something cool this week it wasn't that cool actually it was kind of lame But Jesus wasn't. One of the marks of a growing faith in Christ and maturity in Christ is we spend much more time thinking about what Christ has done, much less time thinking about what we have done. Second observation, we have three of these, three more of these. In our weakness and in our suffering, and all people suffer in Christ, all people suffer in Christ in various ways and varying degrees. In our weakness and in our suffering, we need to understand this God can care deeply for us even while we're waiting to find out what he's doing. If you notice, some of the suffering that you've been through, God never tells you how long. I'll tell you how long your suffering will go. Are you ready? Longer than you want. And every second of that longer than you want, God cares deeply for you. There is not one moment of your suffering that is occurring because God does not care. In fact, it is only occurring because He does. It's critically important that we are willing to acknowledge by faith that God can care deeply for us in our suffering even though His intervention is a little bit longer from today. All right, two more ideas. This is something Moses was asking in his question. We ask this. Who knows God's thoughts? Who knows what's God's, what God is up to? Only God. And here's what our faith can settle on as we know more of God in his word is this. God is wise enough to know what is best. For whatever reason, God decided Moses was the guy to go into Israel... And go into Egypt and draw the people out. And God was wise enough to know to do it when Moses was 80 and not when he was 40. By faith, we have to come to the place, by the work of the Spirit and the truth of the word, where we say, guess what? I think God knows what he's doing. Now, sometimes it's going to be just like that. Okay, I I think he knows what he's doing. They say it with a question mark at the the end. Think he knows what he's doing? And sometimes we say he knows what he's doing. And his spirit gives us that firmness. But none of us know the thoughts of God, but we can know this from his word. God is wise enough to know what is absolutely the best for us. Finally this, and we'll close with this, God's kingdom. What is the value we gain from God's kingdom? We learn this from Moses in his interaction with God. What we gain from God in God's kingdom is this and this alone. We gain God himself. God says, I am the I am. The value of God's kingdom is not God's stuff. The value of God's kingdom is that God's kingdom is where God is. As we grow in our relationship with God, we want to see him develop in us a reliance and an affection, in fact, for God so that we can begin to let go of our need for power, our need for money, our need for influence, our need for importance or even fame, and say this, if I have God today, I have all, of I ne- all I need today. That's a difficult thing to do in the weakness of our flesh, but the might of God is powerful to the weak when we get to the place and say, all I need is God and I have all of God today, so guess what? I think I'm okay. Okay. Power in the impossible. Let's ask those two questions again. Can God use someone like me? I hope so. Qualifications are simply just be weary, be lowly, and be weak. Got that handled? All right, you're in. You're on the team. You might have been picked first. Why does God have me in this situation? Because his power is so profoundly made known to us when we are weak and weary and lowly. And he knows how our hearts work. As soon as we got out of it, we'd be self-important again.